0: Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. If you have your Bible, grab it. If you don't, uh, there's one under the seat in front of you. Grab that. And if you don't have one, that one's yours to keep. Um, or if you just need another one, I guess that's yours to keep. Write your name in the front. Otherwise, everybody will have one that looks the same. Uh, so Callie and I had a a real blessing a couple of years ago, we got to build our own house. It was one of those dreams that we've had for a long time, or that at least I've had for a long time. I wanted to build our house. Uh, and the way we kind of started, you know, when God kind of set it up that it was going to be possible, was we got construction paper, and uh, we cut out to scale each room we felt like we wanted in the new house. And then we sat at the table and went, if we move it like this, That's a horrible idea. Move it like this. Oh, the kids are next to us. Change it. You you, you know what I mean? I mean, not really. Callie wanted them close. I wanted them far away. We compromised. They're far away. (laughs) So, but but that was how we kind of initially did our design or whatever. But in the end, we took that to a professional who drew up these suckers, right? Maybe you've seen these before. These are house plans. And, And in these plans are... All the details you need to build a house. Uh, All the things that I didn't know how to do, right? The engineering, uh, the architecture, how are you going to make this thing work and that thing work? And we worked together a little bit, but I wasn't the brains behind this part of it. And when it came to actually building the house, and of course we had a lot of really good help. um, But when we got down to actually building, it was these That we followed it wasn't our ideas you know hey let's now do this or that we actually had these plans that we had to follow step by step and sometimes i didn't fully understand why something was the way it was and i would call the engineer and go do we really need that many straps you know how much that costs yes you live in a very seismic zone you do i've never felt an earthquake but okay right i mean some of those things i didn't really agree with but i was free to surrender to whatever he wrote. And actually, as we were building, that brought a lot of freedom to have somebody else's professional written on here and they're accountable too, by the way. So if, some, if my house falls down, it's not my fault, it's their fault. That's freeing. So we were free to just follow. And when I would call and say, can we change this? And they would say, no, I was free to just do whatever they wrote down. In a similar way, we are free to follow Jesus. We are free to follow God's plans for our life. We are free to surrender. And we are never fully free until we do fully surrender. This is kind of the big idea. If you have your your notes, if you're a note taker, just kind of write that down. We are never truly free until we surrender to the word and will of God. Because guess what? you're not God. Just like I'm not an architect, although I think I am, right? Uh, You're not God. I'm not God. And and we'll make those comments sometimes. Well, I think this, or my God would be like this, or I know better, or the Bible says this, but uh, I mean, all those things say, I'm, I'm my own God, or I have some control. Rather, we are free to not ever do that. We're free to surrender to the plans. Here, Kayla. You can have those. Thanks. (laughs) Turn to Acts chapter 21. Because we're going to see an example of surrender. And that example, again, is the Apostle Paul, who was so bold in 1 Corinthians to write this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's a bold statement. Parents, can you say that to your kids? (laughs) Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hopefully, you can or who are those people in your life that you look at and you go, they imitate Christ. I want to be like them. Well, you see how Paul said it. He's not saying be like me so much. He's saying imitate me as I imitate Christ. The goal is to imitate Christ. And we can have examples of people that do that. And Paul is one of those. Do you realize that the goal of your life is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be like Christ? Romans eight twenty nine. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to be like his son. God saved you in order to mold you into the image of Jesus. It's called sanctification. It's a process that happens after we surrender to Jesus as Lord. Then he molds us and changes us. He reveals sin to us. Uh, He helps us get rid of that. He, He gives us things to do, and he molds us into the image of Jesus, which we will never perfectly arrive at, until the end, right? Until we're, uh, Jesus comes back or we die and go before him and we get our new bodies. But the goal here is to be like Jesus. You know, those who belong to God because of their faith are going to be gradually changed. That's God's plan. God's plan is to change us. Remember those, uh, those bracelets, WWJD? Those are kind of cool. Cool. I mean, when I was in junior highs, so that was a long time ago. Uh, but that's kind of a, what would Jesus do? If we're going to emulate Jesus, what is that going to look like in our lives? Well, here's what it looks like. It looks like surrender. Uh, I, let me throw this one in real fr- quick before we get into the passage. It doesn't mean conformity. I, I, I've been in the environment where, where there are the religious people that say, your life should conform to this picture And it was an unbiblical, it was an unchrist like picture. I mean, some of it was was good things. I was really set free when when God kind of revealed to me, I made you the way I made you on purpose, not your sin. This isn't an excuse, well, I'm just bent toward this kind of sin, so that's part of it. No, but we are unique, and we can be unique, and God can mold us into Jesus' image. You know, for me, I've heard it all through my life in different ways, but it all kind of boils down to this one phrase somebody said, you're just kind of rough around the edges. And that's, it's true, I'm just a little rough around the edges, and that's okay. It's not okay to be sinful, but that's kind of how God made me. And now he'll mold me there into the image of Jesus. And each of you is unique, some more unique than others, in your own way. And in that uniqueness, God will make you uniquely like Christ to use for his glory. And so we're going to look at Acts 21. We're going to read pretty much this whole chapter and kind of talk about it as we go through. And we see Paul here on the home stretch. It's his last trip to Jerusalem and he knows it. Acts 21, starting in verse 1. And when we had parted from them, we set sail. We came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there but to, to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Who cares? All these little details. Well, Luke cares. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and I think this is kind of cool. Luke is with them. The writer of this is with Paul during this. We did this. We did. It's these details, and you can go back in history and see these were places that actually existed. You can read through Acts and see, oh, these people actually were there in the time. This just kind of adds validity to the word of God. So this is kind of their itinerary. Here's what's happening, and then verse 4. Another entire And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, we departed, and we went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. Just a few verses here. Kind of interesting, though. Tyre. Who planted the church in Tyre? We have no idea. In fact, as we even read through the Gospels and we hear stories and history of all these other churches planted and started, who started them? We have no idea. Acts gives us some little glimpses. We see Peter, then we see Paul. But most of really the growth of the kingdom came just through normal people like you and I. So who started this church in Tyre? We don't know. We do know Paul probably did not plant it. And in fact, some would say Paul had never even been here. He didn't even know these Christians, which is kind of cool because they pass through. And what's the first thing they do? They look up the fellow believers in that city. They get together. They hang out for a week. And when it's time for them to go, they walk with like the whole families. They go with them. They go to the beach and they pray together. It's kind of a cool picture of the unity we have within the kingdom. Now, you see a warning. In in this early church, uh, before they had the scriptures, one of the gifts that God would give was was prophecy, and so people would be able to hear from God some things to guide the church as it began to form. And so here, just as in most of the churches, there were some prophets that heard from the Spirit something was going to happen to Paul if he went to Jerusalem, and their response was, don't go to Jerusalem. Well, they heard right, whatever that was, because things are going to go bad for Paul in Jerusalem. But their application of what they heard was not right. They were telling him not to do what God is asking him to do, which is kind of interesting. Why is it that we have this tendency to try and get others to avoid suffering, not just ourselves? We're kind of wired that way, aren't we? If we know somebody's going to suffer, we're kind of wired to help them not suffer. But yet, if that's God's plan for them, that's best for them. The best thing for us is to allow that in their lives, even to encourage it. This is in your notes. Living like Jesus means we are willing to suffer in the service of our Lord. We are willing to suffer in the, servants, in the service of our Lord. Why? That's, uh, Jesus suffered for us. Again, we get a bigger picture of God, of who he is, of his grace. I love the song we just sang. You know, when you don't know what to say, how great thou art. How great are, you? Just, just saying it. He is great. When we see how big he is, How beautiful he is. The creator of the universe who created you, unique, loves you, died for all of us, died for our sins, and then has this eternal glory prepared for us that we'll be with because of Jesus. I mean, he's so big, that just leads us to, well, then we will be like Jesus. Then I'm willing to do what Jesus did. Jesus was willing to suffer and suffer greatly. So if we're being molded into the image of Jesus, it means we'll be okay with suffering for his glory. Now, it's been roughly maybe 40 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. We don't know exactly. Um, But in that time, this church had really exploded. It had exploded. It had grown. It started with 120 people in a room after Jesus died, rose, and ascended. And then it just took off. And here, again, we see this unity that people have. Why is that so important? John 13, 35. By this, all men will know. You are my disciples, your love for one another. Do you realize our greatest testimony to the truth of Jesus and the gospel is our love for one another? Not our love for the rest of the world, which we should have that too, but our love for one another, our unity. How, How well has the church done at this in general through the decades? We don't have an awesome track record, but we can moving forward. We can be part of unity moving forward. We can make it look a little bit different. And how do we do that? Well, I think a big part of it is get over secondary issues, right? When is Jesus going to come back? Before the tribulation, after the tribulation? Is there a tribulation like some people think? Get over it. We don't know exactly. You know, I've heard people say, I'm pan-trib. What's that mean? It'll all pan out in the end, right? Because it's so it's not clear or or other divisions that come in. Oh, you know, um, God is fully sovereign, but we also have free will. How do those churches are split over this stuff? You know, churches refuse to get together and over this stuff or they get together and they start comparing. But just we can be done with all those secondary issues because we're united in Christ. Now, we're not united with those who do not accept the true gospel. We are not united with the Mormon church, the Jehovah's Witness church, I mean, we can go kind of down the list, so we have to be honest with that. But we are united with those who confess Jesus as the Son of God, Lord, who died and rose again, and the only way to salvation. We are united with all of them, all of those. So faithfully following Jesus means living in unity with fellow believers. Look at verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. And we, were greeted, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And the next day we de- departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who pros- prophesied. Philip. Remember this guy? This is kind of cool. Philip is the one who was in Jerusalem at the beginning when they had seven. There was Stephen and Philip and five others who were the deacons, the servants to help the church there. And then Stephen was stoned. And then Philip, just kind of a normal guy, ends up going up to Samaria where a great revival out, breaks out because of his preaching. And then God calls him to go to this deserted road where he meets this unit going to Africa who goes there and starts a church. Now he's in Caesarea. Does surrender mean God can maybe change what we're doing in life? Obviously. Right? Philip, he went wherever God said, I want you to go there. Okie doke. Now go to Caesarea. Okie doke. <laughs> What's he doing there? Maybe a pastor, servant in the church. that We don't know. What we do know is he has four daughters living at home. So he knew how to surrender to Jesus (laughs) because he had lived this long. (laughs) But here, Philip the evangelist, they get together. And then another prophet's going to come and give Paul a message. Verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered them, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus." And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and we said, let the will of the Lord be done. I got to tell you, every Sunday morning I spend time, I go back through my notes and I, and I pray and I scratch. And all around this, I'd have all kinds of scratches because these verses are really the crux of this whole passage. And they just bounce out at me this morning of what God is saying through his word right here. But look at what's happening. You know, he gets this warning. Again, I think it's interesting. Why did God see so fit to warn Paul what was coming? Paul didn't go in blind. He knew what was going to happen. He willingly went into suffering for the kingdom. And he says it right here of why he would do it. But again, what do all of his friends do? Don't go. Even Luke. Luke here is writing this. He's there, and Luke is saying, they're saying you're going to suffer if you go to Jerusalem. Please don't go to Jerusalem. And everybody else went, please don't go to Jerusalem. Please don't go to Jerusalem. What does he say? You are breaking my heart. Am I not gonna serve the God? I gotta go where he wants me to go. I'm willing to go, I'm even willing to die. And their response is big. What do they say at the very end? Let the will of the Lord be done. That's it. Can you say that? Just open that kind of actually gives me chills. That's surrender. Before you know what God asks of you, can you say, let the will of the Lord be done? Whatever that is, that's surrender. Living like Jesus means we surrender to God's will above all else. To God's will. Does this sound a little bit familiar, this little interaction? Do you remember when Jesus was with his disciples and he tells them, we're going to Jerusalem Odd little comparison. We're going to Jerusalem and I am going to be arrested and I'm going to suffer and and die. And what does Peter say? Bad idea, Jesus. Bad idea, Messiah, God in flesh. I have a better idea than you. No, you shouldn't suffer. There's another way. And what does Jesus do? He turns and he says, get behind me, Satan. Am I not going to drink the cup that God has given me to drink? I'm going to do it. But guess what? Jesus wasn't looking forward to suffering. This isn't, masochism right this isn't christians going i want to i mean jesus the night he was betrayed right before he went to the cross he was weeping and sweating and begging god let this cup pass from me if there's another way that we can redeem mankind without me taking the sin of the world on my shoulders can we please do that and jesus ended his prayer with but not my will but yours be done what's paul's answer and what's theirs Let the will of the Lord be done. You see how our life mirrors Jesus? Jesus gave us such an example. And we could go all over scripture looking, you know, Jesus saying, follow me, be like me. And elsewhere, model your life after the Lord. Be like Jesus. This is our life. And we can say the same thing. Let the will of the Lord be done. What was Paul's limit? He says, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die his limit was his whole life. What's your limit to following Jesus? What is it? I will follow until, fill in the blank, you found your limit. Or I've heard this. I know the Bible says, but God would want me to be happy or, or whatever. And now I'm going to go against this. You, you found your limit. You found a limit to following Jesus. But here's the, the scary thing about the gospel Jesus never says, I want converts, ever. He he never says, I just want people to believe and then go live their life however they want. Jesus said, I want disciples. A disciple is a follower. He said, I want people to give their life to follow me. And what did he say? Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you should take up your cross daily and follow me. Meaning, die to yourself every day to follow me. That sounds really hard. Now, let's be honest. We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. We're saved by belief. That's it. True belief then leads to repentance and surrender to where we follow Jesus. Do we do it at different paces sometimes? Yes. Is God patient as we don't do it perfectly? Absolutely. But the call is to discipleship. The call is to follow and be like Jesus. The call is to have no limits. God is not interested in signing off on our best-made plans. God wants to make the plans that are in line with His kingdom purposes and best for us. <laughs> what if I drew up my own plans and then took it to the county? I'm like, hey, stamp that. They're like, no. <laughs> You're a knucklehead. That's going to fall down. And guess what? Some months after we moved in, we had a big old earthquake. And I'm like, I'm glad I didn't draw the plans. <laughs> right? We let Jesus, we let God draw the plans of our lives. Then when life happens and that earthquake happens, guess what? We're good. We're just gonna, we can ride through it because he's the one in control. We're surrendered to him. We've already said yes to him before life happens in that hard way. And it will. And it will. Now it comes down to the heart. Don't, don't hear me and think I'm talking about religion. Religion. That, okay, now we have to be really good to earn anything. with. That's not it at all. We live this life of following because we've already been given everything. It comes down to the heart. And where is Paul's heart? He says it in Philippians. By the way, he'll write Philippians after all of this happens and he's sent to prison in Rome. Um, or he's in prison several places for years. From one of those places, he wrote these words. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. There's his heart. And all the context surrounding that, go ahead and read that this week. There's joy surrounding everything. And then he says this In joy for me to live as Christ, meaning suffering, poverty, whatever it is. But there's joy in me in kingdom work, or to die is better because the second I die, I'm in his presence and glory forever that's better. So for him, to me, to live as Christ, to die as gain, I'd rather go there, but he's leaving me here because I got some work to do. And it's for your benefit. That's what he says in Philippians and elsewhere. So we're talking about surrender. uh, And this is our vision here. What are we about as a church? We are fueling a movement of God's people surrendered to his mission wherever he places us. Here's what's cool. We are not surrendering to a violent, evil enemy. You know, we think of surrender and it's like, oh, we've been conquered by somebody and this is horrible, now we're slit. We are surrendering to a glorious, beautiful God who loves us, who wants what's best for us. He's saying, surrender to me and I'm gonna give you my name. I'm gonna move you into my palace. Why wouldn't we surrender? We are surrendering to a good, good God. Now look at verse 15, kind of this last stretch Before he gets to Jerusalem. After these days, we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manassan of Cyprus, an early disciple whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there were among the Jews who have believed. They are zealous for the law. Here is this kind of last stretch. It's a 64-mile walk. And they walk to Jerusalem. They get to Jerusalem, and here we have Paul and his companions. We have Philip. It looks like Philip and his companions, Gentiles. They get to Jerusalem where they meet James, Jesus' half-brother, and the elders in Jerusalem, probably about 70 leaders. This is a big group. This is a diverse group. And they all get together. And what do they do when they get together? They start telling stories about what God has done. This is kind of cool. They hear Paul tell the stories of what God has done, and they glorify him. You know, Paul is probably there talking about, man, when we were in Philippi, we got put in the prison. They beat us, and then they stripped us, and they put us in the stocks. But at night, we started singing. And so uh, an angel appeared and unlocked the doors and we were free to go, but we didn't leave. Check this out, check this out. The jailer pulled his sword, he thought we had left and he was about to kill himself. And we said, no, we're still here. He took us to his house, he washed our wounds. They were all saved, it was super cool. Story after, I mean, this is what they did. They just told these stories and the others glorified God. They worshiped with it. This tells me a little something about this early church and surrender to God, this unity. They were celebrating God's work that they had nothing to do with. When we are surrendered in love to Jesus, we celebrate movements of God we had nothing to do with. That's kingdom. When you hear stories of what God is doing around the world, yesterday uh, the ladies had this IF conference, which was awesome, and there were some speakers talking about what God is doing around the world. Do we celebrate, or is it just like, yeah, I really only care what's happening in, in my world? Kingdom focus. God is moving across the world. Do you realize that? The church is growing China, growing Africa, it's growing too fast. So fast, they don't have enough leaders, enough disciples. God is moving, and he wants to move here too. That should get us excited. You know, rather than focused on all this political junk and whatever and COVID that we have going on here, God is moving, and that should lead us to celebrate. And this moves to the next thing, and we're going to see this coming up. When we're surrendered to Jesus. We have the wisdom to know when not to argue over secondary issues for the sake of the kingdom. I already brought up that unity, but here we see this again. Look at verse 20, the second half. They said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law, and they've been told about you, and that you teach the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to their customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do, therefore, what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, pay their expenses, that you all may shave your heads. They're taking a special Jewish vow. That all will know that there is nothing to what they've been told about you, but you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from that has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Kind of confusing. Let me just kind of sum that up. They get there, they're like, hey, a bunch of Jews are hearing stories about you, Paul, that you're saying that Jews don't have to obey the Mosaic law. Well, why don't you go and take a Nazarite vow with them and hang out so they see that that's not true? Here's the truth. Jews did not have to follow the Mosaic law. They were free from it. Paul will write the book of Galatians full of why Jews no longer had to follow the Mosaic law. Does Paul point that out? No, Paul doesn't. Paul could have said here, well, we're free from the law because Jesus died and rose again. Remember the veil that was torn? No, we don't have to obey, but he didn't. He had the wisdom to know they're stuck in these customs. They were raised with it. It's just the way they are. It's okay, I don't have to fix that. As long as they're not pushing that on the Gentiles and they made clear they're not, let let that be. Do we have that wisdom? A lot of times we kind of have our pet theology, right? And we just have to convert everybody to the secondary thing. Paul had the wisdom to just let some of those things go. Now Paul's peace is going to come to an end, verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed... "'The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, "'laid hands on him, crying out, "'Men of Israel, help! "'This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people "'and the law and this place. "'Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defied this holy place, "'for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, "'and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple.'" Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Those are the, the Romans in control there. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts about the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of people following, crying, Away with him! Have we seen this before in the New Testament? This is what happened to Jesus. And by the way, this is the same place that it happened to Jesus. Paul here is dragged to the same place that they took Jesus. The same place that Paul dealt with Jesus is where Paul is now, or where Pilate dealt with Jesus. Paul is to that same spot. This is all, I think, written on purpose for us to see, here's what it means to follow Jesus as Lord. Here's what surrender looks like. He went where Jesus went. And here's another fact. As we follow Jesus' example, it is inevitable that some people are going to hate us. It is inevitable some people are going to hate us. Jesus said it in John. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We are free to surrender to God's view of us alone. This one truth has, has taken the Christian church in America and drug it through the mud because so many denominations say, we want society to like us, so we are going to change God's word or we're going to abandon God's word. We're not gonna preach on the truths that sex is between one man and one woman within marriage. We're not gonna talk about that because that will distance some people. We're not gonna talk about sin. We're not going to talk about hell and judgment, because that makes people uncomfortable, and we want big churches. No, we see here, it's going, the gospel is uncomfortable sometimes, because you know what we tell people? You're not okay. That's the, the way, where this whole message kind of begins. It begins, God is good, and then it begins with, but you're not. That's not a fun message. You know, we live in a society, it's like, you're fine. You're good, you you be you. And then we read the the good news and it's like, uh, you don't be you because that's gonna lead you to hell. There's a way that is right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. And so the good news is you're not okay, but guess what? God is fully good and Jesus died for you. You can be saved. That's the good news, but guess what? Many are gonna reject that. And look at our society today. Are we okay with being hated? We have to be okay with it. We have to. Uh, But don't encourage it. Don't create it. Don't be a jerk. You know, I, I mean, sometimes Christians can do that. We can take the truth, and because it's true, we can just shove it in people's faces. Yet when we share, it's supposed to be with gentleness, with respect, with love. Following Jesus means we may go through what he went through. Paul is a picture of the surrendered life. Here's kind of the big application that struck me as I'm reading this. We have not had a lot of persecution in this country, but I think it's coming. I think it's coming. And, and should, we, should we do our part to make the laws stay in favor of religious freedom? Yes, we should. Absolutely. We should vote. We should do those things. Whatever glorifies God. But guess what? It's, it's coming. Are we ready? You kids, are you ready? You may grow up, and if you are surrendered to Jesus, you might be put in jail for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. They might come in here and try and shut us down because we are gonna continue to teach the truth. Are we okay being in prison? Are we, around the world it's happening. Who are we to think we're above it? Are we ready? Surrendering to Jesus means we're ready and we're okay. Last kind of little point we see here. Paul is being drug out, right? They hate him, they wanna kill him. In fact, that was their whole goal. They were gonna kill him, they save him. And as they're carrying him out, He does this, verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? They had no idea who Paul was. (laughs) Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, to be continued, next week. (laughs) Here's my point here. The people trying to kill him, and they're carrying him out. He's like, time out. Can I give them a message real quick? And he turns to share the love of Jesus with them one last time. One last time. As we follow Jesus' example, we will have love for all who need salvation. For those who hate us, for those trying to take us down, they're not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. Can we love those who persecute us and pray for their salvation? That's who we are. Listen, we are never truly free until we have fully surrendered ourselves to the word and the will of God. God has a perfect plan for you. And it's better than your plan. It's better than what you think you could come up with. God has a better plan for his glory and for your eternal glory. Because we're going to be with him forever. The, the picture that came to mind, and I've shared this years ago, of surrender. It's picture, my girls are way too big. I, I liked this story better when they were cute and little. Now they're cute and big. Uh, but when we'd go to the pool, you know, and they were two years old and they couldn't yet Swim. And I'd go out there and I'd be treading water. I'd say, jump in, I'll catch you. And be like, are you sure? Jump in, but I can't swim. I know, I'll catch you. Their hesitancy was lack of faith in me. Their hesitancy, I don't trust you. You're gonna let me sink or something. But it's that, then jumping, right? I'm gonna jump and trust you to catch me. That's faith, that's surrender. Are you willing to jump, to follow God, not knowing what's gonna happen, just knowing he is good? and you can trust him. Father in heaven, thank you that you are good, and we can trust you. God, we, we know our hearts can lead us astray. We know in our flesh, we think we know things we don't know. And God, we think that we can maybe uh, decide things better than you at times. And I ask that you would forgive us for that, that you would grow our image of you, God, that we would recognize your glory, your goodness. You're all knowing, you're all powerful, you're all good. You love us, you know what's best. Therefore, we can trust you no matter what and we can surrender to you. God, we surrender to you now. God, if there's any steps we need to take today, Holy Spirit, show us what that is. Show us what you want to do in us so that you can get the glory. If there's anybody in here who has never surrendered to you for the first time, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. God, that they would recognize that they're a sinner and that they would believe that you died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead. And they would say, today is the day I repent. I'm now gonna follow you. God, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you do need to surrender to Jesus for the first time, you can put that on your Connect card, just like about anything else. (laughs) That's something you can mark. But I'm gonna be up here. I'm gonna be up by the baptismal. And if you wanna come talk to me about salvation or anything else... I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you.